Let's pray this morning. Lord, you are incredible. You are holy, you are compassionate, you are sovereign. We thank you that we can just know that truth, that in every moment of our life, in every situation and circumstance, we can just understand how incredible you are. And yet as wonderful as you are, as incredible as you are, as sovereign as you are, that you would care about each one of us so intimately that not a breath or a second goes by that you're not part of it for us. So be part of this morning. Be part of this room. Be part of this experience. Be here as a sovereign God of our hearts and our minds and our wills that we cannot be captured by our past or captured as slaves, but live as people of the promised land, conquerors for the sake of your kingdom. We ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Do you have a seat? As we watch the screens for a minute, remind ourselves about holy ground. Arlington National Cemetery, final resting place for over 300,000 American men and women, soldiers who defended liberty, presidents who served democracy, Supreme Court justices who protected the Constitution, civil rights leaders who pushed the boundaries of prejudice and equality, explorers and astronauts who pushed boundaries of a different sort, writers who challenged us to think, and entertainers who made us laugh. In the stillness of these fields, we get a sense that this is holy ground, for here we honor the dead. But among all these gravestones, there's one that honors a man to whom this ground was sacred even before his death. It was here, at Arlington Plantation, that James Parks was born as a slave. It was here that he was freed in the year prior to Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. It was here he chose to live among fugitives and liberated slaves. And when he died in 1929, it was here that he was buried among the people he had served and the land of slavery he had humbly reclaimed for liberty. We were all born into slavery, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can die free. It's because of him that the ground on which we stand is holy. If you uh, go to Arlington uh, National Cemetery, I think it's absolutely true, at least it was for me, that when you uh, walk through that gate, I mean, as you, you get on the other side of that gate, there is a sense that you are uh, in a special place, that you're in like holy ground, that it's, it's just different. When you, when you cross over from being out there in just the busyness of the world to the reality of just the sum total of life and the sum total of sacrifice 
that lies in that ground. And uh, boy, you just get this tremendous sense, right, of being in holy ground. How many have been there? Yeah, good, a lot of you. Great. Agreed? It's a pretty awesome place, right? Uh, and that's a great image for us, I think, this morning as we get back to looking at the life of uh, Joshua. Uh, because Joshua uh, has, in, in chapter 5, uh, a, a similar experience, I think. And so we're going to be in chapter 5 of Joshua today. If you brought your Bibles, that's where you want to get, okay? Chapter 5. And you think Joshua has a similar experience. And interestingly, it's just captured in a, in a pretty straightforward, simple kind of beginning of the verse here in Joshua 5. And you get on to verse 13, and it says, When Joshua was near the town of Jericho. Uh, now, remember, it says he's near what town? Jericho, right? Jericho is in the promised land. Now, I want you to try to capture, if you could, just, just put yourself in the position of Joshua in that moment. He, here he is standing near Jericho, which means he's in the promised land. He, he is standing on the ground that his ancestors were promised way back to Abraham. He's, he's standing on the ground that he's heard about over and over again in his childhood, he's, he's standing on the ground that, that repeatedly was the hope of his people while they were slaves in Egypt. He's, he's standing on the ground that, that they wandered 40 years to get to, and now he's actually standing on that ground. Can you imagine how immense that must have felt? I mean, grow, growing up, my, uh, my grandfather would tell uh, my brother and I stories about uh, Al's Sunset Bay Resort in northern Wisconsin, you know. And he'd tell us stories about, boy, that resort and the fish he'd catch and the lake and how awesome it was. And, I mean, he just painted this picture of, of this place. And we knew this had to be the most fantastic place on the face of the earth. And finally, as a little kid, one and only time I was ever there, we got to go up to Al's Sunset Bay Resort on Lost Lake. And man, we got there and we got out of the car and we're looking around going, wow, we're here. This is it. You know that experience? That was, it was a pretty, you know, run down, not so great place. But nevertheless, it was like, wow, oh my gosh, I'm really here. This, oh, I'm in that place that I've heard about so many. This had to be the experience that Joshua has. And yet, as he stands in that very place, what does he see out in front of him? He sees the obstacle of Jericho. Remember, he is near the town of Jericho. And so as he's standing on this holy ground, on this incredible place that's been promised to him and to his people, he's finally standing in that place he's heard about over and over again. When he looks out, what does he see in front of him but the immense seemingly overwhelming obstacle of Jericho and its fortified walls. Archaeologists put together kind of a, a picture of what Jericho uh, uh, looked like before those walls came tumbling down. And uh, I don't know if you can see it real well, but can, can you see the people down here? <laughs> I mean, they kind of look like ants, don't they? I mean, that, that's kind of the, the, the experience that Joshua is in right now, that as he looks at these incredibly immense 
walls. It seems to him, I'm sure, like an insurmountable obstacle. And yet the truth, the truth we discover in the text is the walls are not the obstacle. The walls are really not the obstacle that Joshua faces. Before he can even think about the walls, he has to conquer another obstacle. And it's the obstacle of his thinking. Because as Joshua stands there and as he looks at these ginormous walls, it would be easy for him to think like a slave. It would be easy for him to fall back into thinking like a slave. And certainly as he's standing there and he's looking at that obstacle, he's got to be remembering the day when they thought like a slave. The day when they were 40 years ago at the bottom end of the promised land and it was all right there in front of them and all of the people except for he and Caleb thought like a slave. Comes out of Numbers 14. Then the whole community began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones would be carried away off in plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return and be slaves in Egypt? Then they plotted amongst themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to our slavery. They are thinking like slaves. Amen? This is the obstacle. It's not the walls. The obstacle is that they are thinking like slaves when they're standing on incredible, promised, holy ground. And this is our obstacle as well. When things get in front of us, when challenges come our way, when disappointments creep into our life, when stuff happens that seems beyond our control, do we not always seem to concentrate on the problem? And we let the problem capture our thinking. And we begin to think like slaves. When Joshua is being called to think like a conqueror. Now God anticipated this problem for Joshua. And it happens before verse 13. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 5 in Joshua... Uh, it says, at that time, the Lord told Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel. So what's going on? When they came out of Egypt, God rescued them with a mighty arm. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years after that because they thought like slaves. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years as slaves. Now they're on holy ground. Now they're in the promised land. And God says, before you can think like a conqueror, you've got to get right. Before you can think like a conqueror, you've got to get right and understand who you are. 
and the sign of who they are. The symbol that sets them apart from the rest of the world is the symbol of circumcision. Because circumcision was the sign that says, you are not just any people, you are God's people. And so God says, if you're going to take the promised land, you've got to do it as conquerors, you've got to think like conquerors, and it starts with understanding who you belong to. So get circumcised. This is our challenge as well. Our challenge as we face the obstacles is to not think like slaves, but to remember who we belong to. That, that who Jesus Christ died to set free from slavery was us so that we could live a life as conquerors and take God's territory. Exactly what the, what the people of Joshua are being called to do in this moment. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal to this day. So God rolled away what? The shame of their slavery. What's that mean? It means they may have been slaves in the past, but not anymore. They may have been slaves in the past, but not anymore. Now you're on holy ground, and you're my people, and you are conquerors. This is the same promise that God makes to us. This is the same thing that Jesus did when he came, and he was a slave to God's purposes to die for us so that we could be free. You notice the text, great, great language. It says, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery. I have rolled away... Do you remember Jesus died for you? Do you remember that he took on all your guilt? He took on all your shame. He took on all your failures. He took on all of your past. And he died and killed it on a cross. And what happened three days later? A stone did what? Rolled away. And he walked out a conqueror. And that's the promise for us. That when we receive Jesus Christ, we receive a forgiveness that says you're no longer a slave. You don't have to live like a slave. Your thinking doesn't have to think like a slave. You are now God's people. You are God's possession. You are a conqueror. You belong to him no matter what obstacle comes in front of you. Even if it's as big as the walls of Jericho. You still belong to God. You are still God's people. And you are still a conqueror. And nothing's going to change that except if you fall back into thinking like a slave. The challenge for Joshua was not the walls. The, challenges, the challenge was moving from thinking like a slave to thinking like a conqueror. Paul says to us, brothers, sisters, I've not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting what? The past. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies on ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race, receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ, is calling us. Paul was ready to let go of his slavery in the past and to become a conqueror. Can you think of a guy who was like not more the symbol of being a conqueror than Paul? 
incredible stuff this guy did in taking God's territory and establishing churches and bringing people into that relationship with Christ. He was an incredible conqueror. Why? Because he was a conqueror who understand his past was past and it's about now living for Christ. See, this is the challenge. Some of you are still stuck in slave thinking because you're still holding on to your past. You're still feeling the guilt of your past. You're still feeling the shame of your past. You're still remembering the failures of your past. And you've got to just let that be slavery that's in the past and step on over into the promised land because that's what Jesus died to give you. And when you say Jesus is Lord, you just make the move and the stone is rolled away in your life and you walk out a conqueror, a new creation in Christ. We've got to stop thinking like slaves and start thinking and acting like conquerors. That's the next thing. For Joshua, it wasn't just to get his thinking different, but to get his acting different. To begin acting like a conqueror. Now, walk with me with this one here. Going back to Joshua 5.13, you're going to say, we just did that. There's more there. I know it's one little verse. It's a whole lot there. Okay? You with me? Here we go. You're going to like this. This is cool stuff. When Joshua was where? Near the town of Jericho. All right, now think about what I just shared with you. He's near the town of Jericho. He's in the promised land. Now you realize that once they crossed into the promised land, there was a lot of people who weren't happy about that. There were kings and armies who were preparing and were absolutely prepared to attack and get rid of this foreign nation moving into their territory. There were armies prepared to attack and wipe out the people of Israel because they're now in the territory of the Promised Land. You still with me? What did God ask Joshua to do first thing when they got into the territory of the Promised Land? Circumcise all the men in the entire nation. You realize what this means. I mean, you know what circumcision is, right? I don't need to go that. You got that, right? I don't need a picture or anything. Okay? I, you know, I want to keep it not, you know, X-rated here. But, I mean, you, I mean you're kind of running with it. You realize what this means, right? This means that for a period of time until the guys healed, there was nobody in the entire nation of Israel that was capable or prepared to defend the nation. They were absolutely and utterly defenseless. Right? Now think about this. They did this when they were in the promised land. Why would God do that? Why didn't God say, Now, Joshua, I'm going to take you through the Jordan River here, but before we go, we've got to get some things straight. 
So let's get all the guys. We'll take a little time. We'll backtrack a little bit to a safe distance. We'll get everybody circumcised. Then when everybody's healed, everybody's ready to fight, everybody's ready to go, then we'll move in and we'll put you on the promised land. I mean, this would make sense, wouldn't it? But he didn't do that. Instead, he moves them into the promised land. He puts them in absolute risk. They're absolutely under the threat all the time of somebody coming and attacking and trying to destroy them. And yet it never happens. Why doesn't it happen? Joshua 5. When all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings who lived along the Mediterranean coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan River so the people of Israel could cross, they lost heart and were paralyzed with fear because of them. The very experience of God's people being obedient and crossing into the promised land in such a mighty way. Now, you know that story, right? They take the Ark of the Covenant, the priests go ahead, you know, their toes get a little dip of water on them, and boom! The waters part, and, and the whole nation walks through on dry ground, going, oh, thank you, God, I heard about this. My ancestors told me it happened at the Red Sea. I didn't think I'd see it for myself, but here I am. I'm walking through on dry ground, the waters part. This is a cool thing. The same thing that happened when he delivered them to Egypt, he does the same thing when they cross now into the Jordan River. And all the kings heard about it, and they were fearful and paralyzed and not capable of attacking God's people when they were the most vulnerable. Now think more. You ready? On the day that God's people crossed into the promised land, and he split the waters again for him. Do you think anyone who was crossing in had any awareness saying, well, this is going to paralyze those kings. This is going to scare the bejesus out of them, I'm telling you. I don't think so. They were just being awestruck by the nature of their sovereign God who could do such a miraculous thing that they heard about that he did before with their ancestors when they came out of Egypt. They're just looking at what an incredible, cool God. Look at what he's doing for us. And they had no awareness that that very act was the thing that was preserving them on the promised land. What do you do with that? You have to understand how sovereign... Your God is. You have to understand, you won't always get it. You won't always see it. You won't always know it. You won't always understand the whys and the hows of what God is doing in your life when you submit totally and perfectly to His will and to His desire in your life. But you can know He is a sovereign God. And a sovereign God a sovereign God accomplishes His purposes. They didn't know it, but that very instance was what was protecting them and keeping them. It says, while the Israelites were camped at Gilgal in the plains of Jericho, what did they do? They crossed in, circumcision happened, and the next thing they did was they got at the table and they celebrated the Passover. 
Now, now most scholars believe that this is probably the first time they've celebrated the Passover since they left Egypt. Now, let's reminisce it. What was the Passover all about? The Passover was that meal that reminded the people of their sovereign God who was willing to fight for them and free them from slavery in Egypt. And now they're in the promised land, and he says, let's get right. Everybody get circumcised, and let's get to the table, and let's get right, and let's remember what I'm willing to do in your life. And that's what happens every week. We do it every week. Not just once in a while, not just once in 40 years. We do it every week. When we come to the table and we say, God, you are sovereign, you are incredible, and you are the one that frees me from slavery and brings me to a promised land of opportunity that shatters my past and gives me a whole new way of thinking so I don't live like a slave, I don't think like a slave, I don't act like a slave. I am a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And we do it every week. And after they got done at table, it says... The very next day they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land, and it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Cana. No more manna. No more manna. Why no more manna? Because they're not slaves wandering in the wilderness anymore. They're conquerors in a promised land. And they're going to eat from the fruit of the land. They're going to eat from the fruit of the promise. They're going to eat according to the will, desire, and the promises that God has in their life. That's us. That's us. We get to eat from the fruit and the promises in Jesus Christ because the stone rolled away and he walked out a conqueror. And we're in promised land. And Joshua's in promised land. And the most amazing thing happens to Joshua. He's standing there, the obstacle of Jericho, and it says he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he demanded, are you friend or foe? What's Joshua asking? Are you for me or are you against me? Right? Look, let's get clear. You for me or are you against me? Look at the response. Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. Whose side is this commander on? God's. God's. You see, he's clear. No, I am here to do the will of my Father. That's the way Jesus says it later on when he's Jesus. When he's the pre-existent Christ in this place, he says, neither one. I'm here as the commander of the Lord's army. The real question Joshua asks is the wrong one. The real question for Joshua is not, whose side are you on? The real question is, Joshua, whose side are you on? Joshua, whose side are you living your life for? Joshua, do you realize you're in the promised land and that God goes before you? And whose path are you going to follow in your life? Yours or the path God would set for you? 
The real question isn't whether God is fighting on the right side or the wrong side. The question is whether Joshua has got his life and his people in line with the purposes and the intentions of what God wants to do with them. You see that? This is awesome stuff, people. This is life change stuff. We can let go of our past. We're not slaves anymore. We don't think like slaves anymore. We live like conquerors. And how do we do it? We start acting like conquerors because we put ourselves in God's purposes and God's will for our life. It's not about us anymore. It's all about Him. And if we do that, we know our sovereign God will give us the milk and honey that He's prepared for us. I'm telling you what, that, that's good preaching, people. You with me? That's, you You got to go home and listen to this one again. Because that's good stuff. I'm telling you, that's good. You get this. This is good stuff. Okay? This is good stuff. Proverbs, trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. That's what it is. Man, if you want your family to be incredible, get your family in God's purposes. Don't try to figure it out for yourself. Don't be a slave thinker. Be a conqueror. Get them into God's Word. Get them into worship all the time. Get them into the adventure camp back there. Get them into impact on Sunday night. Get them into the experiences of God so they understand what it means to stand on holy ground all the time. You see, that's where we are. We are a people who stand on holy ground. That's our job. Our job is to think God's thoughts, to do God's purposes, and we know His purpose is simple. Take back His territory. Take back his territory. It shows up with Joshua like this. At this, Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence. He said, I'm, the, I'm at your command. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now think about how bizarre that one is. Joshua says, oh, I get it. What do you want me to do? Shall we storm the walls? And the guy says, No. Take off your shoes. Does this make any sense? Absolutely it does. Because Joshua has to understand.